This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 155. As long as you purchase a base hit and you keep doing that consistently, you will look up one day and realize how far you've gone. So I have gotten consistent base hits and, and I'm pretty good with that. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where we give you the nitty gritty details on how to get started as a real estate investor. But more importantly, we give you the community you need to stay motivated and make things happen. So Ash, what is going on with you today? How are things in Buffalo? Well, I'm still on the couch in my new podcast suite. Still got my leg elevated with ice. I uh, go and get my MRI in a couple hours. Looks like it's going to be an MCL tear and maybe an ACL tear too. This is like really awful. This is my first like real big injury where I've been like laid up for more than a week. So it's definitely been a change, like having to have somebody chauffeur me around just even getting something to eat. <laughs> so, but I heard you moaning and groaning a little bit too. Yeah, man, I don't I don't know if the injuries are contagious or what, but like I was at the gym. I'm training for a fitness show right now, so I'm trying to lift heavier weight than what I typically do, but I'm usually pretty safe. But anyway, I was at the gym this past Saturday and I was doing squats and kind of felt my back tighten up a little bit and I didn't really think anything of it. Then I woke up the next day and I, I could like barely get out of bed. And this morning it's like the same thing, so I like pulled a muscle in my back three years ago on my lower back. So I don't know if I maybe like re-aggravated that. So I've been like hobbling around the house all day, like I'm 80 years old. So hopefully it's nothing and it goes away soon. Hoping it's not anything bad enough where I need to get like a x-ray or anything like that. Well, for those of you that are watching on YouTube, but can you agree that it would be a lot more enjoyable if Tony was also on his couch with <laughs> heating pads and we just kept it super casual? <laughs> I was going to say one, one other cool thing that happened. For those of you that follow Bigger Pockets on Instagram, I took over their IG yesterday. That was a lot of fun. The way that the podcast recording works, this is going to come out like way, way afterwards. I took it over in December, but this episode's airing in, in, uh, in February. But it was really cool. I spent the whole day kind of taking the Bigger Pockets Instagram audience through like a day in the life of us going through some of our properties. So we stopped by some rehabs we were working on, one that we had just recently finished. We stopped by a short-term rental that was in the process of getting set up. One we had just recently finished setting up that we were you know, having guests at. So it's a really fun day kind of showing people behind the scenes in the life of a short-term rental investor. And obviously, if you guys want to see more insights, you can follow me on Instagram at Tony J. Robinson. If you want to see Ashley and how she looks laid up on her couch, you can follow her at Wealth from Rentals. <laughs> but it's always kind of cool giving folks the behind the scenes on the IG stories. Yeah, I actually saw them yesterday, Tony, and I was going through and I was like, yeah, yeah, it's Tony. And then you turned the camera on Sarah and she took over and I was like, yes, now I'm watching. <laughs> Tony's like, Sarah is so awesome. And she went through it and how she managed that flip by herself for her first time doing it. And she did a great job. She did a so, phenomenal job. Sarah, I know you're listening. Because you love to listen to me, not Tony. Congratulations and great job. Yeah. Well, let's talk about today's guest. We had a rock star of a real estate investor on today, Ali Garced. She is active duty military. She's also a real estate agent. And she's just crushing it in multiple markets right now doing buy and hold real estate investing. Yeah, this is a great show. And we kind of take a little deep dive into the VA loan and how she has taken advantage of that. Also, how her first deal, she felt like she did not 
hit a home run or even a base run. She actually got discouraged. And then how she actually turned that around by not just looking at cash flow, but looking at equity in the property too, and then got herself re-excited about real estate and has invested in multiple out-of-state markets too. Yeah. And I think there's one part that I want all the rookies to listen for, because I learned a lot during this conversation was about why she walked away from some properties that had illegal additions. So just make sure you listen for that part because there's a lot of good information there as well. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's bring Allie onto the show. Allie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you start off telling everyone a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate? Yes. Thank you both so much for having me. I am actually active duty military just for the next couple of months. That's how I started out was getting the VA loan because that's a no-brainer. I purchased my first property in 2016 and I've purchased three more since then. And I have been surrounded by real estate with my family. My dad is in real estate as well. So he was always a good go-to, a great mentor, somebody to bounce questions off of and somebody to literally see that, you know, someone who is financially free, give a great example. You say that your dad was in real estate. Was he an investor? Was he an agent? Was he a contractor? There's a lot of different ways to be involved. What 
kind of business does he have? And how did that influence you as wanting to become a real estate investor? Yeah, investor. I think he used to be a mortgage broker for a couple of years too, but mainly it was investor owning commercial properties. So I'm from White Plains, New York. That's why I was born and raised, went to school in Elon University, North Carolina. No one's ever heard of it. No relation to Elon Musk. <laughs> and since joining the military, I've you know bounced around. But yeah, definitely a landlord. He owns a laundromat. He owns residential as well, but on the commercial side and like a bodega. Yeah. So if I can ask one follow-up question, Ali, I think people that are listening, they might say, oh man, I, I can't follow in Ali's footsteps because my dad isn't this successful real estate investor, but does your dad just kind of hand you the keys to his empire and you're just kind of taking over? Are you building something on your own? Give us the background of what that kind of relationship looks like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I absolutely can see how, you know, hearing a story about someone whose parents already financially free from real estate is like way too much of a jump. And of course they got everything handed to them. I know that I'm grateful for what they've given me. I was able to graduate college debt-free, you know, half from their help. The other half, I joined the military. I College was way too expensive. So I was like, you know what? The Air Force can pay for it. <laughs> so therefore I gave back a couple of years. No, I've never been given, you know, the set of keys. I wouldn't even know what to do with it. He was just always someone to push me as far as like making sure I just get into real estate. But he's never been, I have a sister as well, has no desire to purchase real estate. That is not her thing. And he doesn't push her. So it's always good to have somebody, and it doesn't have to be your parents, but just have somebody that is where you want to be and ask questions, someone that you're comfortable, have a good, just mentor relationship with. But no, I, I wasn't given the case to anything. <laughs> I think something important to point out is that you took advantage of an opportunity that you had. There's a lot of people that have different opportunities presented to them and they don't take advantage. So you had your dad as a resource. That is a huge opportunity for you. And you took advantage of that. And yes, you weren't handed the keys to the kingdom. But even if you were, that's still not as simple as just like, oh, I got to take over all of this real estate. And I think that's a huge misconception people have. It's like, oh, this was given to them. They got a huge inheritance or they got these properties. There still is learning the process. There still is work that has to be done after you take after over these properties, after you actually make the plan and you take that action to take over properties or use an inheritance to purchase properties properties. I wish that I had like a, somebody in my family to help me with a real estate or had like a huge inheritance. So I think sometimes people think that other people had it easy because they had an inheritance or they had this huge advantage, but it doesn't really matter how you got started. It's once you got started, where you take it, what you do with it, I think what really matters. So Ellie, once you start talking with your dad and you got started in real estate, what kind of happens next? Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to yours, like there was no small loan of a million dollars, you know, it's yeah. same thing. Like you really <laughs> yeah. have to want it. <laughs> yeah. And so it doesn't yeah. matter whether you have a family member or, you know, close friend that is in it. If you really want it, you will find a way to make it work. Period. Dot. So yeah, I agree. Let me add one more thing. I remember this stat and I had to look it up while you guys were talking, but it says that 70% of wealthy families lose their wealth by the next generation and 90% lose it within the generation after that. So even for people that are coming from families that have done well financially, 
most of the kids mess it up is what this statistic is saying. So the fact that you've been able to kind of come in and build your own thing, I think means that you're, you're doing the right thing, right? You're building it out the right way. So just kudos to you. And I'm not pointing that out, Ali, to like give you a hard time, but I know for a lot of our listeners, when they hear stories or certain like tidbits from guests, they kind of start to tune out because they're like, oh, that's not my background or that's not where I'm coming from. So I just want to make sure they understand the work that you've put into this to make it your own thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And that statistic scares me so much that within three generations, all the money can be lost and usually is lost. That shit scares me. And I think that's always a good reason to like think in the back of your head. And if you have kids, I don't have kids. Just keep yourself humble, you know, never live beyond your means because I had no idea where we were at. I one time asked my parents if we were poor, <laughs> like that's just, I had no idea. So it definitely was not that kid to be handed down everything. And I do not, I will not do that with my own kids in the future. So talk to us about how you got started that first deal in 2016. So I had been in the military at that point for four years. I joined in 2012. I was at my second duty station, Peterson Air Force Base, Colorado Springs. And I knew that I had the VA loan, but I really didn't know much about it. As far as real estate investments go, it was not even like really a thought in my head. But I did have my dad saying, hey, you should purchase property. And like, that was it. And, and I was like, you know what? Uh, okay, fine. I'll purchase a property. Because I was living with a bunch of friends, like in one house, like super cheap rent. You know, all of us were, some kid was living in the closet. Like it was just like very, very cheap living. Anyway, moving out. So I decided to, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and purchase a property. So I found an agent. All my purchases have been on the MLS so far. I used the VA loan, put 0% down with it's amazing. I think I brought a total of $3,500 to close for the closing costs. I think that included like the termite control, the termite control, the termite inspection. Then I got a property. I purchased it for 158. It's a condo, two bed, one bath in the middle of Colorado Springs, pretty close to base. And I thought nothing of it, right? I actually never ended up even moving into it because I got deployment orders right after. So, which super still qualifies for the VA loan because I intended to live in it, but I military. So I had to up and move to Afghanistan. So then I rented it out, right? I got a property manager, rented it out. While I was in Afghanistan, I was making triple the mortgage payments because I really didn't know what else to do with all this money that I had. And since then, when I came back from Afghanistan, I wasn't able to make those triple payments anymore. I did a lot more research into like, what is real estate investing? And I was like, oh my gosh, there's this thing called the 1% rule. And I was like, you know what? I am not making 1%. And I really, I thought back and I thought that this was a good purchase. You know, I rented it out. But after I really started running through the numbers, I was like, wait, I am evening out. This is like no cash flow, right? And I'm looking at like my left side and my right side and I'm seeing all these people, especially like newer investors, making cash flow, $100 per door, you know, per month. And I was like, I'm not doing that. Whatever cash flow I would get, I would make this is my number. I would make cash flow $88 a month. And I was like, okay, well, at least I'm positive, you know, but every two years, this is huge snowstorm blew out the windows without fail, blew out the windows. And there goes all the cash flow. And I was like, I don't think this is worth it. I was like, I don't know if I like real estate. So I had like that sort of like negative idea in my mind. If I don't make cash flow on a property, I'm not doing well, but what do you know? December 2021, my property has appreciated in value double. I purchased it for 158. It's worth a little bit over 300. That blows the cash flow out of the water that I would have made had I made a measly $100 per month. You know, like that, it's just night and day. So 
I think I focused too much in the beginning on cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, that 1%, $100 per door per month. But really, if you buy and hold, you will win in real estate. Especially too, since you only had $3,500 into the property too, into the deal. Like that's a huge factor because somebody can tell you, oh yeah, my cash flow is $1,000 per month on this property but maybe they put 20% down, 30% down too. So when you hear people talk about cash flow, you really need to know more information to see how their cash flow compares to your cash flow. And so when you're not putting hardly any money into a deal, making $88 and having that much equity, that really is a huge win. So congratulations, Allie. Can you explain to everyone what a VA loan is? who is eligible and just kind of the basics of it. Yeah, absolutely. VA loan, those that are eligible are active duty members. As long as you've served more than 60 or 90 days, family members, widows, as long as they have not remarried. And so anybody, essentially with a military connection, you put, and the highlights are honestly the best part of a VA loan is putting 0% down payment. Of course, you could put some if you want to, but why? <laughs> and then you all essentially, all you have to do is pay for closing costs and you purchase a deal with 0% down. It's a no brainer. You can use it multiple times and have multiple out at one time. I have two VA loans out now and I still have some remaining if I wanted to buy another one. My wife has two out right now, and we're actually in the process of moving into the second one that she just purchased. So between the two of us, we have four VA loans and still some remaining on my side. So it's, it's a super, super helpful way for the military to get started in real estate. Ali, one question for me, because maybe this is a misconception that I had about VA loans, but I was always under the assumption that you could only have one open VA loan at a time. But it sounds like you're saying that you can have more than one at any given time period. So can you just clarify that for us? Have you heard that misconception? Is it wrong? Or is, is there some kind of like backdoor thing you were able to do to make that work? Yes, it is like the number one misconception is that you can only have one VA loan out at a time. You have to sell the other one before you purchase a new one. No, completely wrong. I think you can have three out at a time. There's a cap and you can just look up like Google your county as far as how much the cap is, but you can have all those out at one time. That's, I mean... Cap in terms of like loan balance. Yes. Gotcha. Now, are they still looking at your debt to income ratio to approve you for all of those loans or is the DTA not as important for the VA loan? Yeah. So actually they just made an update to the VA loan in January, I think of this year, 2021, where the only thing holding you back is your own DTI and credit score which super helps those people in high cost of living areas, Hawaii, San Diego, to help purchase a home. Otherwise, they might not have otherwise qualified. Wow. That is like news to me. And Ashley, did you know that? Yeah. Actually, my business partner, Daryl, he is retired from the military and he just got approved for a VA loan. And so we've been doing tons of research on it. But yeah, we found out too that you could have two of them. And in our county, it's up to $500,000 you could get. So he would have to live in one for a year and then he could buy whatever remaining balance he had was to get the other one to buy another. And then if he wanted to go and use it again, he'd have to refinance out of one of those other ones. But yeah, I've been learning a lot about VA loans just through him doing his, and it is such an interesting tool and a huge benefit. Absolutely. It is. And for military, it's just, it's a no brainer. I want to go back to one point you made though, Ali, about the cash flow on that first deal. You said you were making like 88 bucks a month. 
I like that you brought up the equity piece because I, I think that is another big part of real estate investing that doesn't always get enough love, right, as, as the equity buildup. But it sounds like this first deal wasn't a home run for you, but it does sound like it gave you the kind of real estate bug. So I guess my question is, seeing that you, you were only making 88 bucks per month, was it the equity that got you excited about continuing to build your portfolio? Was it something else? Like Because a lot of people listening, they hear $88 per month. And they're like, man, real estate investing isn't worth it. So what was it about that first deal that even though it wasn't an absolute home run, that made you want to continue to push forward? Actually, it wasn't even that deal that wanted that forced me to you know, keep going. It wasn't really until last year when I looked back at that first deal and I was like, wait, that's a, that's a good one that I got, like just buying and holding. I got into bigger pockets and analyzing numbers the right way in 2018 And that is kind of what rejuvenated my want to purchase a real estate investment for cash flow. So that's when I was in a little bit of a cheaper area where I am now in Tucson, Arizona. And I'm also an agent now, which super helps, you know, as far as the MLS goes. But looking at deals here made me more so want to purchase. And then like, I've read so many books on you know, just personal finance and real estate that that's what got me into the real estate bug. Yeah. Just one thing to add on to that, because I like what you're saying is that your first deal wasn't a home run, but it gave you the motivation, the inspiration to kind of keep pushing to figure out more about real estate investing. And I think that's what I really want the rookies to take away from this is that you obviously Ali, couldn't retire on $88 per month in cash flow, right? Like you'd have to be living a very simple life to be able to do that. But the purpose of the first deal isn't to make you financially free. Like no one's gotten financial freedom from the very first deal. And like me, my first deal was okay. My second deal was terrible. I still have a house for sale in Louisiana. And let me actually talk about that really quickly because I think it's it's an instructive deal to talk about right now. That house has been vacant for the last 10 months. So we've covered the mortgage payment on that house for 10 months. That's $1,400 we've been paying for 10 months. That's $14,000 that we've literally lost on this house. But would I go back and stop myself from doing that deal? Absolutely not. And the reason I wouldn't is because that one deal, it was my second out-of-state birth, so it gave me more confidence on managing rehabs from out-of-state. It was my first deal with my partner, who we've now done, I don't know, however many you know short-term rental and other kind of deals together. So it gave me the foundation I needed. And had I not done that deal, I don't believe I'd be where I'm at today, sitting in the seat that I'm in. So the purpose of those first couple of deals are to give you the confidence. They're to give you the education. They're your training ground. They're the foundation laying. So you can go on and continue to build up to five to 10 to 20 to 30 units. This property is also still available for sale if anyone would like to contact Tony to purchase it. I was going to ask that. Are you still trying to sell it? We're still trying to sell it. Still trying to sell it. There is a glimmer of hope, though. We had someone that stopped by the house over the weekend, and like my agent always sends me the notes, and this one said, possibly interested. So who knows? We'll see if they come back and actually buy. Thanks. <laughs> my Tony, my uh, four-year-old, he also told me possibly today when I asked him if he wanted to go to the doctors <laughs> with me when I got my MRI, he told me that this morning before school. And then when he got home from school, he wanted to go with dad out and work in the shop. And I said, but you told me you were going to go with me. And he's like, I said possibly. So that means I get to pick what I want and I don't want to go with you. <laughs> <laughs> so just a, a little so you, FYI. Yeah, you're, you're saying, like, keep my expectations as low yeah. as what you're saying. Okay, fair enough. 
Uh, okay, so Allie, you're doing all this research. You found bigger pockets. What has kind of happened since then after that first condo? So since then, I have not had a home run. Every property that I've purchased since then has been another base hit. And I was originally looking for a home run. Of course, who isn't looking for a home run? But really, I realized, you know, time in the market is better than timing it. I was like, you know what? Maybe the real estate crash is going to happen soon, blah, 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 blah. But I was like, you know what? Let me just buy. If the numbers work now, for as far as cash flows go, like the numbers are going to work. So I have been purchasing. I purchased a, uh, my second property was here in Tucson, the VA loan again. My third property was actually out of state. I've never seen it in Oklahoma City. That was a turnkey. And then my fourth property was a duplex here in Tucson again. Ironically, I was out of state just because the military keeps sending me all different locations. And they have been consistent base hits, but you know what? Like I'm taking action. You know, I spent way too, I think way too long analyzing and analyzing and just running numbers and thinking that's not that good of a deal. I can get better. I can find better. Yes, you can, but at what cost? You know, as long as you purchase a base hit and you keep doing that consistently, you will look up one day and realize how far you've gone. So I have gotten consistent base hits and, and I'm pretty good with that. That is such a great point is that you don't have to hit that home run deal. Like you can do those base hits and they are going to build you wealth and still make you different from where you were before you even started real estate investing. So these markets that you were in, were these places you were stationed and that's why you picked them or what made you decide on these markets? Pretty much. Yes. So even though I purchased the one in Oklahoma City, I, I was stationed a couple hours north in Enid, Oklahoma. No one's ever heard of it. But I was here and I'd gone to Oklahoma Oklahoma City so many times that I knew what it was about. I knew that not only was there military, there were a lot of other job opportunities there. So I liked the area. So yeah, it's something that I've had at least some knowledge of and been near for a while. So when you search these markets and you are there, are you using property management or are you self-managing them? I am using property management for the most part. I do have one Airbnb, which is here in Tucson, the single family. I manage that myself. I have the systems in place in order to do that. And really when I was looking at property management, I saw that there was like a, I think they wanted 40% of the rent and it just wasn't going to work. So I was like, you know what? I'll make it work. And I found a cleaner. I know a handyman and I have the systems in place. I want to talk about that. Just because, like, I just it was knew, the same thought process for as me. As soon as she said, <laughs> you know, I have one short rental, I just saw Tony's eyes gleam and I already knew, okay, well, I'll be back to the conversation in 20 minutes. <laughs> Take it away, Tony. Well, well I, I thank you for that, Tia Bash, but I think it's just so interesting because it was the same thought process for me. We had long-term rentals before we got into the short-term rental space and we had property managers managing the long-term rentals. But when we transitioned to short-term rentals, we made the decision to self-manage those properties. But in reality, the long-term rentals are far less work and energy than the short-term rentals are. So you touched on a little bit, but maybe break down for the listeners why you decided to use a property manager for the long-term rentals, but decided to self-manage on the short-term side. Yeah. Well, first, just to clarify, I think you said the long-term rental is less work than short-term? Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
in my experience, it's been the opposite. I think short-term rentals are less work than long-term. Maybe that's only because of my experience where how <laughs> I'm spending so long, like managing my property managers for the long-term and like realizing that they don't have the paperwork ready yet for the next tenant. They don't have, it's just like, come on, I can do a better job. Meanwhile, me running the my one Airbnb, of course, it would be different if I had a couple, probably. The cleaner knows the password. She changes the code. She takes photos before and after. Those photos double as an inventory type deal. We don't count every fork and knife, but okay, our, our majority of the plate's still there. Good to go. So that's just so much less work I found with short-term rentals than long-term rental. That's an interesting approach. I think you might be one of the first investors I've met that have have kind of had that sentiment. And it makes me wonder, like, is there maybe there's some inefficiencies on your property manager side that's making it such a time involvement from you? Ashley, let me get your input, right? Because you kind of got two of these as well. Do you feel that you're investing a lot of time into managing your property managers for your long-term rentals? Or are you at a point in your career where it's just kind of like checking in and, and, you know, 30,000 foot view, touch and go, and they're handling most of everything for you? I have to say that I agree with Allie on this one. I only have one short-term rental too, and I have one person that takes care of it. I don't do anything with it. She handles the Airbnb app. She goes in and cleans it. She manages the booking. She does the communication. But like Ali said, we're not on like a large scale like you. And I don't have a ton of like communication with people. And it's just one small apartment that I'm Airbnb. But I do spend a lot of time overseeing my property managers doing the asset management portion of it. And I know on my end, a part of it is that the property management company didn't have any experience with large apartment complexes. And another investor that I do asset management for, his properties are the first complexes they ever had. And so recently they did a walkthrough of every apartment and did preventative maintenance checklist for each apartment, just like saying, these are things we think you should repair now that you know might be a problem down the road just to update, stay on top of things. And so we got like 65 maintenance requests for all these things. We start going through we're being charged for, you know, a bunch of the same things in each apartment, like replacing faucets. Okay. Well, when you get to the point of ordering 40 faucets, there's usually a bulk discount. So we had to go back to the property manager and say, Hey, you know, like this is a lot here. Can you please go and revise your pricing and get it, you know, priced out from your vendors and just things like that. And like Ali said, the turnovers are a huge issue for us and staying on top of those too and getting them re-rented. Yeah, maybe it's just me and my experience because I've also never had a really big long-term rental portfolio. But like, for example, yesterday, we had a guest that checked in, called this for the checking code, even though they had it already. Call this on how to lock the door, even though there's a video on how to do that. Call this on how to turn the heater on. We have a mini split, even though there's a video. So, you know, like when you get those kind of guests, like there's there's definitely a lot of time that, that goes into the short term. But maybe you just do what I do and you just you have one piece of paper with the bare minimum of information. <laughs> I never get any phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just already know. Like, I probably won't know the answer anyways. So right. that's cool. <laughs> just set the expectations really low for them. <laughs> Um, so Ali, I want to talk a little bit about the funding side of things. So are you using, did you use a VA loan for all of these acquisitions? Because if I'm doing my math right, you're at what, four or five units right now? 
Five units, four properties. Okay. So we're across those four properties. Were all of those with the VA loan or did you kind of start using different means of financing? Yeah. Good question. Only two of them. My first two purchases were with the VA loan. Like I said, I still have some left over. If I wanted to, I would have to do essentially half and half with a conventional loan. My third property, the one that was out of state in Oklahoma, that was a conventional loan. I put 20% down. It was a single family. My most recent purchase, which was in January of this year, 2021, was also a conventional. I put 25% down because it was a duplex. So I've saved up quite some money, quite, you know, a significant amount of money through the stock market, really. So I just sold that and purchased it threw it into real estate and it's been doing pretty well. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's something that a lot of rookies tend to get stuck on is like, okay, I can think about how to finance that first deal and fund that first deal. But when they think about getting to four properties, you know, their minds start to spin a little bit. So I always like to dig into how our guests are kind of putting those things together. And obviously you got the benefit of your first couple of deals being very little money out of pocket because of that VA loan. So maybe if there's one takeaway from all the rookies that are listening, it's to go join the military, get a VA loan, then you can kind of scale more quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes and key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So, Ali, I think Ashley and I want to dig into like a specific deal for the Rookie Deal Review. Do you have a specific property mine we can jump into? I do. I have my numbers for any one of them, whether you want to do the short term, my duplex, you tell me. Which one do you feel maybe is the most, has been the most challenging for you? The duplex. 
All right, let's talk about the duplex then. So I'm just going to hit you with some quick kind of rapid fire questions just to set the table for the listeners. Then we'll go back and we'll, we'll kind of get into the nitty gritty there. So what market is this property in? Here in Tucson, Arizona. And it was before I became a licensed agent. So I used an, an agent and I had been searching for over a year. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. And we know that the property type is a duplex. What did you purchase this property for? What was the purchase amount? 179 and the appraisal came back at 180 and I was ecstatic. I was like, oh man, my first one that I'm purchasing <laughs> under appraisal price by a thousand dollars. And then it's a duplex. So what what do you have on both sides? Two one, Two, one, one one. Yep. About eight hundred square feet each side. And you said you it took you a year to find this, but was it on the MLS? It was on the MLS, yes. All of my purchases have been on the MLS. Gotcha. Okay. And then did you put any rehab funds into this property or was it turnkey? It was turnkey. It didn't require anything right away, but I have since remodeled, completely remodeled one side. That tenant knew that she was leaving. And so I took that as an opportunity to increase the value. Okay. And then last question is how long ago did you purchase this property? January, 2021. So almost a year ago. Coming up on a year now. Okay, awesome. So let, let's kind of dive and get into the nitty gritty. So we've got a duplex you bought for 179, two one on each side, purchased back in 2021. So first, let's talk about how you found this deal. You said that that it took you a year. Well, I guess elaborate on that for me. Does that mean that you were searching throughout the MLS for an entire year, or you had this property under contract for a very extended period of time and there was like issues trying to get it closed? Just break down what you mean when you say it took you a year to close this deal. Yeah. So the former, I had been looking on the MLS for, you know, 1% rule and, you know, how much cash flow can I get? Because I wanted to get a multifamily next, two, three, four. And I realized in Tucson, a lot of times there are multifamily properties on the market and that are not taxed as such. It is taxed as a single family. So I got into that. I found that quite a bit where I was under contract and I realized this fourplex that you're selling is really a duplex. So you just, you know, illegally added some walls, threw in another bathroom or another toilet and are selling it at fourplex numbers. But really that's not, it shouldn't be that way. It's a duplex number. I had to back out of a couple of deals because of that. So it, it took me a while. At least, sorry, really quickly, because yeah. I, I think that's an important point. Can we drill down what the downside is of it being a four unit in reality, but a two unit on paper. Like, why is that something to walk away from? And how you found that out too, where you got that information. Yeah, absolutely. So I, like I said, I was looking for multifamily and I under this first one specifically that I remember I was under contract already. So, and when I was running through the numbers and looking through the property, I saw like, you know, there was just additions here and there, like a wall here that kind of just looked awkward. And there was a super, super small studio. And I was like, is this really a, this one was a triplex. So I went on the Arizona Pima, you know, gov, dot gov website. And I looked up that address and it says what, what it's taxed at. And this one was actually taxed at as a duplex, not a triplex. So I looked into it further and I realized, should somebody in that unit find out that there are no permits and that property is actually not a triplex? In the research that I did, I found out that they could get all of their rent money back that they paid you. That is significant enough for me to say, you know what, next. <laughs> um, 
but I am also very risk averse. And that's something that I'm working on myself. Like a lot of investors here in Tucson don't care because it is so, so common. People will purchase properties that are illegal. People don't want to go through the permits. And I'm sure that's not here in Tucson alone. Permits take a very, very long time and they're expensive. So sellers will just want to sell their property after putting up a wall and another toilet. So after that, I realized instead of getting under contract and wasting my agent's time, I will look on that website first. I'm sure for any county that you're in, go on the county website, look up that address or look up the parcel ID and see what it is being taxed at. And if it's being sold differently, I would probably just keep on moving. I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know. And maybe that's like an Arizona thing, but I didn't know that if uh, as a tenant, you could go after the landlord for being in a non-permitted unit. Is it like that in, in New York, Ashley? Are you aware? I don't know about the rent portion of it. I know that there are a lot of like, if you have more than so many units in some of the counties, they will come in and do an inspection every year for your certificate of occupancy. I think it's like maybe every two years in some of the counties. And if it's not a permitting unit, you'll get fined. And I remember looking at this triplex, I think it was in Rochester, New York. And the one unit wasn't a permitted unit. And the guy that owned it said, oh, well, don't worry. The tenant that lives here, he just pretends he lives with the other tenant while the inspector comes. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, don't worry, I got it figured out. I got got it all figured out. Don't worry about it. (laughs) So I don't recommend Um, doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's a real thing. Like I actually ended up talking to the seller and the seller really like almost convinced me to that this was okay, that it's because it's so common, everyone does it. Purchase my property, but don't fall for that. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that, Allie. You know, I think Ash and I, both of our antennas went up when you said that, because we know that that's, it's an important thing for Ricky to understand is like, hey, here's what you should be looking for when you're kind of scoping out these multifamily properties. So, so you passed on this first one. So tell us how you end up finding the one that you're actually end up purchasing. Yeah, this one, I had taken a look at it on the MLS, ran the initial numbers and kind of just decided to keep on moving. But I think I was already starting to get into the mentality of this one might not work. This one might not work. You know, I was starting to get a little bit down, but I was on a military trip away from the state and my friend actually hit me up with this property. It was like, Hey, have you taken a look at this? You might want to try like, you know, run some numbers. And I thought, He sent me this property because he was looking to purchase it. So I ran numbers for him like thoroughly more than I did originally. And I was like, you know what, Kyle, this is a pretty good deal. I I say, go for it. Because like when I clicked on that MLS, it came up as purple, you know, like as something that you've already clicked on before. I was like, oh yeah, I ran this number originally, but let me do a deep dive. I was like, this is actually a pretty good deal. Go for it. And he was like, no, I, I sent this for you. And I was like, well, I might go for it then. The biggest thing for me, which excited me about this property was that the rents were so low. The rents had not been increased for 10 years and each side had lived there for 10 plus years. So they were being rented out at 50% of what they should have been. There was only one rent increase and that was right before the seller decided to sell. But other than that, they were paying like 400 bucks and market rent at the time was like 850 like for that type of property. Once you purchased the property, how did you go about raising rent or did you ask them to leave? What kind of happened in that scenario when you have somebody that's so below market rent? What was kind of your game plan there? 
Yeah, yeah. So the seller had actually just increased rent for the first time in his like whole seller or you know owner experience of that property. So I was not the you know the the new landlord to come in and say, oh, you've lived at this price for ten years. I'm going to raise it to market rent. There was that softening period, I guess that you know that he started out with. So I increased it. He increased it to I guess seventy five percent of what the rent should be and. When I came in in Arizona, you have to finish off their lease. So they had signed for another year, right? So you have to abide by that at their price. And then I told them beforehand, I had a property manager at the time for both sides, now just one. I told them to that, you know, to increase the rent. And I told them to actually like send them comps, like send them what they would be paying had if they were to, you know, move out. And but both one side liked being there, liked living there. He knew that he was going to stay. And I told him, I was like, hey, Travis, like, you know, this is market rent, but this is what I'm charging you. And it's less, like $150 less. And then I did that to the right side as well. But the right side already knew that she would plan on moving because of family stuff. So I knew that that side, I was going to remodel and increase it to, you know, get the most rent. That's great advice right there. And that's something I have done too, where you send the letter with the rent increase, but also show that comparable rents, comparable properties, like the same amount of bedrooms, bathrooms, maybe same kind of style or features of the property that you're actually paying them still or charging them below market rent or that it is market rent. I've never had anybody complain about it when you like show them that if they go and look at other properties, they're going to be paying more. Plus, they're going to have to move too, which can be costly and a huge inconvenience. So that's uh, great advice, Allie, to put that in there. Um, Another thing you can do with uh, large rent increases like that is do it over time. So steadily increase the rent. Sending out a letter saying, okay, for the first three months, it's going to increase by $25. After the next three to six months, it's going to go up to $50. And then after that, it's going to be up to $100 or whatever it's going to increase by and do a gradual increase too for a tenant. And I've had good success with that too. Just one idea on that, because I know what you hear a lot is that landlords get kind of villainized when they raise rents on people. But it's like, if you look at any other commodity or any other you know thing that people buy to live their life, you don't see that same kind of backlash against the people that are the like the owners in that situation. Like say that you're like a dairy farmer and say that for whatever reason, you kept your prices on milk really low for a long time. And you look up and you're like, holy crap, I'm charging 50% less than all the other farmers out here selling milk. Let me raise my prices to meet everyone else. No one's going to come at you and say, you are a terrible farmer because, you know, you're a terrible, you know, dairy salesman because you raise your prices. But for whatever reason, when it comes to rent, as owners, we get villainized. But I think that approach of saying, hey, here's what you're going to pay if you go elsewhere, which is even more than what I'm raising the rents to, that's a way to kind of soften that blow and make both of you guys feel better about the situation. But I just always thought it's been like a really weird label that gets placed on landlords when we make that, you know, price adjustments on properties. Right. I could have increased it to 100% of what the rent honestly should be, but I didn't because he has been there for so long and he is a good tenant. Like I looked at their financials and he's paid on time every single month. So I wanted to keep him. Uh, I want to keep him as long as I can, although I do plan on the property, but he's a good tenant. So I want to, you know, reward him for that, I guess. And so it's only 80%. So you just mentioned that you plan on selling the property. What kind of is your exit strategy then for this property? 
Yeah. So I purchased it conventional loan. I would like to do a 1031 exchange and start moving up. I was only able to rehab one side and I was able to put, I put about 17 into it and it's probably increased 50 since I bought it with maybe like 50, 55, 60. So I plan on doing a 1031 exchange and into a larger multifamily. I do plan on going commercial in my next one. Gotcha. So I guess before we move on from the rookie deal review, I just want to kind of tie this one up for the listeners. So we know what you bought it for. So what are you actually charging in rent on these units and what kind of cash flow are you seeing per side? Yeah. So PITI is nine fifty, and one side after the rehab is rented out for a thousand dollars. The other side, the guy who's been there for a while is seven hundred dollars. And so seventeen hundred income. And so it's pretty good cash flow. But now that I've done my rehab, it was my first time doing a rehab too with a contractor that came recommended from a lender that I work with here. And I probably did like everything wrong of like what you should not do. Like it was a handshake deal, like barely looked up his like, you know, license, but he came recommended from a lender. And this lender was like, Hey, you send me a lot of business. (laughs) Like, I know that if this contractor messes up, you won't be sending me any more business. So like, I trust him. But anyway, yeah, so it cash flows pretty well. And I do plan on, I don't know where I'm going to purchase the next property, but I know it's going to be commercial. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that deal for us. Real quick, why did you have that uh, kind of pivot from doing residential to commercial? Economies of scale. I cash flow, especially now. So the last 10 years, almost 10 years, I've been in the military, comfortable W-2, making really good money. But now I'm going, I'm leaving a secure W-2, becoming a full-time real estate agent and investor. And I'm more so focused on the cash flow. So it was great that my first purchase was, you know, more of an appreciation play, but I really need to focus more on cash flow in order to uh, make up some of the income that I will not be making with the military. So economies of scale, smaller or larger multifamily will be able to do that for me. Well, that's very exciting. And I'm excited to see where you take this and continue on your journey. Thank you. So I'm going to take us to the Ricky request line. You guys can call in at any time, 1-888-5-ROOKIE. Leave us a voicemail and we may play your question on the show. Okay. Are you ready, Allie, for today's question? I'm ready. Hi, my name is Con Huda. I'm in the military working at Fort Campbell. I'm currently looking for a property in the Clarksville area for an investment property. I'm currently living in Nashville and I commute an hour. And I'm starting to realize that the road to financial independence would require me to start living closer to where I work at Fort Campbell. So my question to the guest would be, what advice would you have for someone who's currently leasing an apartment and looking to buy property soon, but unable to break a lease on the apartment and still get property. Should I maybe wait until my lease is over? Just, you know, look for any ideas or advice. So if this member in the military does a lot of travel or the military sends somebody anywhere for a period, I think of longer than 60 days, you are able to break a lease. So if there is, if you wanted to game the system, if there is a trip coming up to volunteer for, it might be 90 days. I'm not sure. I'd have to take a look at that deeper. But that could be a way to legally break the lease. The CRA allows that. 
Otherwise, I would say, you know, keep saving money while you're in this lease. And in the meantime, start looking at multifamily to purchase with your VA loan. I can help you find a good agent out there in that area. But obviously it has to be a place where you would feel comfortable living in. A lot of times multifamily properties aren't in the best location. So you have time on your hands that benefits you. Start getting like a, you know, like a drip campaign and start looking at what multifamily is closer to base, you know, are there. And they usually are a lot close, close to base. And then start like get your family involved. If you're married, definitely get your spouse on board and uh, run the numbers. And then once you get that, you should be able to rent out the other units, live in one side, hopefully cash flow it. And that helps you snowball the amount of money that you're making. Then you can move out after a year. That's great advice, Ellie. The only thing that I would add to that is um, my brother, he actually, during COVID, he wanted to move home because he started working remotely from North Carolina. And he actually talked to his property manager and said, you know, I would like to move out in a couple months. Is there anything I can do to get out of my lease? And they said, we can actually list your lease or list the apartment available now. And if we get somebody to move in, you won't have to pay for the remainder of your lease. So your property manager might have options for you. I know that in for the property management company I use, if somebody breaks a lease and wants to move out early, if they find a tenant to put in place, they'll not charge them additional rent, but they will hold their uh, security deposit for the lease termination too. So depending on what your security deposit is, you could have to maybe forfeit that. But does that make sense for you to be able to get into a house hack earlier? So. Yeah, that's a really good point. A lot of people see leases and they see the black and white and they think that is it. That's final. Not realizing on the other side of the lease is a human being that rationalizes and has a heart. So everything in life is negotiable. So yeah, really good point. And like, well, especially in New York, I just feel like it's so easy to get out of a lease too in New York state that, I mean, I can think of several situations where people just like left in the middle of the night and you don't know where they go. You don't know how to track them down to do anything. So I'm not suggesting that anybody do that to get out of a lease. I'm just saying if, um, you know, there are, there are, what are they called? The, She's the just saying she knows a guy. If you, if career you need someone, tenants, that's what career I tenants, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> career tenants, that I think that there is a way that you could get out of a lease by, like Allie said, like talking to the landlord and them rationalizing with you and kind of figuring out a game plan. So Awesome. Well, I guess let's take us to our Ricky Rockstar. Yeah, let's dive into it. So uh, today's Ricky Rockstar comes from the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. We are at just over 40,000 active members there. So if you're looking for a place on the internet, obviously outside of the Bigger Pockets forums to interact and engage with other rookie investors, the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group is the place to go. Uh, but today's Ricky Rockstar is Matt Nicastro. And Matt said that after five months of rehabbing and getting the place exactly the way we wanted. My wife and I have finally gotten our second short-term rental live on Airbnb. This home is located just outside of Disney and the house has been live for two weeks and already has $7,000 in bookings. And this is why I love real estate. So Matt, congratulations to you and your wife. And for the rookies that are listening, this episode goes live after we have launched already, but the short-term rental bootcamp is live and in action. If you're interested in any of the Bigger Pockets bootcamps, just head over to biggerpockets.com forward slash bootcamp. I mean, you guys can join the waiting list for the next sessions that we have. 
Tony, I was just very inspired by this rookie rock star that I think what we need to start doing is we need to see that these short-term rentals that people are putting together are actually really as awesome as they are describing. So I think we need to be, you know, get invited out and, you know, check these uh, short-term rentals out. And- you know, <laughs> I think that is a very fair trade, actually, you know, like yeah. our, our listeners invite us out. So they're cool Airbnbs all across the United States. We give them our honest feedback and opinion. Yeah. You know, and it's a win-win for everybody. Bonus points of as a pool and we get to have a pool party. <laughs> <laughs> Astropalooza part two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Allie, thank you so much for joining us today. And let us know when you want us to come out to your short-term rental. We will be there. But can you tell everybody where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, my short-term rental does have a pool. It, it's a community pool, though. Um, I'll but- take it. <laughs> Yeah. So the best way to get a hold of me is probably through Instagram, Allie the Agent, A L I the Agent with underscores in between. Or if you wanted to brush up on your spelling, it's Garced Realty. My last name is Garced, G A R C E D Realty. There is no I in Realty. <laughs> it's like a pet peeve. Realty. <laughs> and people add eyes all the time. GarcedRealty.com or Instagram would probably be the easiest. I'm happy to answer any questions that newbies have. I've been there. It's you know, it it can feel like a lonely world if you're not connected. So number one thing is to stay connected with others. Well, Allie, thank you so much. And also thank you for your service and great information today. You have provided uh, such value to Tony and I, and also the listeners. I'm Ashley at Wellcome Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson on Instagram. But before you guys go, Let's check out what's new for you rookies at biggerpockets.com. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.